top of this morning's message. Who was returning? Specifically remember, we want to think about that. As we're coming into the kingdom, the thing we repent of, of course, is sin. But when we come into the church, yes, we continue to repent of our sin. But the trap is a much more subtle one. The trap to knock us out of ministry or knock us out of the anointing that God has for us is far more subtle, clever than that. Right? It's more deep-rooted than that, more difficult than that. Sin is very blunt, very obvious, very easy to see. Self-righteousness, man, self-righteousness can cloak itself. Self-righteousness can come into the church. I mean, maybe it's you. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're the one. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the one who's actually rotten in, in my heart. Maybe I'm the one, and I don't want to be like that. Amen? Amen. I don't want to be like that. And so it's a time, it's a weekend, I think, for all of us of, of deep analysis, looking at myself very honestly, very honestly, thinking about my thoughts, thinking about my motivations and my heart. Do you know the Apostle Paul, do you know what he said about himself? Wow. He said, I am the greatest of all sinners. Paul was 100% right. He was the greatest sinner on earth. And that had to be his perception. But it also has to be yours. In your mind, you need to walk up to Paul and you need to say, Paul, no, the greatest sinner is me. Every one of us must. If you think there's someone better than you, this is the point, right? If you think that you're somehow better than others. You, you, you need to get back something. You've lost something. You have forgotten that your sin sent the Son of God to the cross. That's what you've forgotten. You've forgotten what you've done. You've taken your eyes off yourself and you've begun to feel good by looking at others. You've looked at others who were weaker than you, less than you, and surreptitiously you've built yourself up. Amen. Amen. We have all done this. This is the trap, not for the lost. This is the trap for the saved. This is the trap for you to build yourself up, to think of yourself like Paul said, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Get a proper grip on yourself. So this is my trap. This is your trap. And we need to spring it. Now, we're a Pentecostal church and we want to be used in power, right? We want to see healings. We want to see miracles. We want to see God be able to flow through us so that his work gets done. Well, I tell you what, folks. He's not. God's a good God. He's not going to destroy me. He's not going to destroy me. And so why would he come upon me with an enormous anointing and say, you know, raise, start raising people from the dead or something? Could you cope? Could you cope? Could you cope with that type of anointing? Because the thing that's in the way is self-righteousness, pride. That's what's in the way. So think of Paul. Paul who worked so many miracles. What was Paul's perception? The chief of all sinners. 16 books of your New Testament came through him. 
The bulk of your Bible, the New Testament, the bulk of it came from one man. So God was looking on the earth for someone to use, but he's not going to kill you. He's not going to destroy you. You might destroy yourself, but he won't do it. So God, in his grace, he must have put a conviction upon Paul. There must have been a great, the blessing upon Paul was the knowledge of the truth of what he was really like. He truly is the greatest of all sinners. But I am. And believe me, you are. And I hope to God and I pray to God that you actually accept that. Now, we're not saying this to put anybody down. You understand, right? Not say, that's not where this goes. That's not where God takes us. It's just that once we start the process of elevating ourselves, it's a sneaky one. It's a stinking thinking. It's a sneaky, sneaky, sneaky thing in the church. And it has a, a horrible end, a destructive end for everybody and everything around it. No place for it. Right? And remember, folks, we, we want to focus on evangelism for the future. But a lot of the guys who are out on the streets of our city preaching the gospel are so stuffed with self-righteousness that they separate themselves from their brothers, consider themselves greater than everyone, and still go to preach the lost. Tell me, do the lost respond? No! No! Because the lost person can smell out pride and hypocrisy a mile away. They can suss them out. And some of the Christians can't. Deaf, dumb, blind to the true spirit of God. He's a good God. What is he? He's a good God. My God, help us. Help us to see Jesus. Do you know lost people in scripture? Who did they go to? Jesus. Jesus. Because in him there was no the self-righteousness. Was not there. I mean, a filthy, dirty, rotten sinner like me, and I look and someone's full of their own self, I'm not going to go to them. I'm not going to go anywhere near them. Right? And so that once that's out of us, when the self-righteousness, the pride is out of you, or at least you accept it, you begin to become, what, what Ian was saying, attractive to the lost. They sense it. Remember, they've got us. It's a dead spirit, but it's still there. It's dead towards God. They've still got a spirit, though. It's just dead towards God. Yours is alive towards God. It's born again, right? So they've still got a spirit. And with that, they sense something in you that's good. But I tell you, not only do we hate self-righteousness, but I think the lost hate that, and it's repulsive to them because they're looking for the genuine article. You know, praise God. It's, it's, I mean, it's convicting, Amen. I'm deeply, deeply, deeply convicted. So this morning we looked at, at the elder brother. Tonight, turn over your notes to the flip side. You'll see there, this is the other brother. Now, we are both of these. I consider myself firmly both of these individuals, right? So we, we've come in to the church. We've got saved. Then when we're in, we, we deal with the elder brother issues. But let's just pause a moment and consider the nature or the process that salvation has taken within us and the steps onto salvation that our friends may have to take or you may have to lead them through. Now, don't answer this question. I don't want to embarrass anybody. 
but we're a church. When was the last person you led to Christ? We've got a problem. Amen? We've got a problem. You've got a problem. You have been sent out into the world, I mean, to bring the light and to know this thing, this salvation thing so well. And we use, you know, like a blunt axe to deal with these things. We need to study and know the process of my own salvation so that I don't go around in circles, but also know it for other people. And that's where the story of the prodigal comes in. The story of the prodigal, at a first reading, not easy to see. But it, if you like, is a case in point. When a doctor is studying an infectious disease, they will always get what they call a case in point, same in law. They'll get a, a test case, a study case, someone that they can look at and they can study. And through that person, they will develop a cure or an antidote or whatever. That's the prodigal. That's the prodigal who is an example from Jesus, remember, of your path and my path. The whole chapter, actually, Luke chapter 15, particularly the prodigal son, it's a story for the lost to get them saved. It's a story for the saved to keep them on the right path and to stop them getting proud. But it's also a story for all who would be disciples. Who's the disciple in the story? The father. Now look at the behavior of the father. Look at his actions. Look at his great patience. Enormous patience looking over the hill waiting for that return, waiting for the boy to come back, right? And then his patience also with the elder brother. He's, he's both ways. He has an open heart. There's your disciple. Amen? There is your patient, believing dis disciple who's trying. He, he's giving both sons the chance, giving them the opportunity, and that's what you need to be like. Like the father, we are in our hearts, both, bro both brothers, of course, but we need to, be, to develop, particularly as disciples, that nature within ourselves. So, this is a very important story to me, or I'm going to go round my circles in my life. Um, I, I need to repent of sin and then get into a different place in my spirit and not be like a roundabout Christian in my life. And the story of the prodigal, it, it tells me about me. The first thing, see, this is a pit. This is a pit. And he came up out of the pit. But look at the first step. What is it? Desire. Desire. You need, I need to learn to control my desires. We all have desires, right? We have a natural desire for achievement or for food or for sex. Sorry, I didn't mean to look at you when I said that, Gordon. I was just looking that way. You know? <laughs> I won't do it again. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We have natural desires. Do you know what? The desire for food, do you know what the devil does? Eating disorders. The desire for achievement, do you know what the devil does? Pride. The desire for sex, lust. Your desires are totally valid. They're from God, but you need to protect them. Now, the prodigal made a, a, a very serious mistake here, which we have all made because we're all being lost. He let the desire, he let the thought take root in his mind, and that's where the problem started. Remember, it's not action first, is it? Thought. You thought about it. You thought about it first. And failure to control my thoughts 
leads me to actions. It's not actions first. What is the word the Bible uses here? Desire. There was a desire in the prodigal's heart. Sin was conceived in him, but not born. It was conceived. Now, it's interesting when you meet Christians like this. You'll meet Christians, they come to church and they're all e uneasy and they want to go and you, you, know, you just don't feel good about them, you know? And you think, sit down, what's wrong with you? I, 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 I've got to go. Where are you going? What's wrong with you? They've got sin. They've got a thought. They've got a desire. They're pregnant with sin. And many believe, you need to know what to do, friends. That's what the story is for. You need to know how to handle that. Your thoughts can be bad. Amen? Amen. Every person here, your thoughts can be bad. Now, you need to learn how to control that because Paul spells this out. He says, when it's fully born, it gives birth to sin. That's the way he puts it. He describes it like a, a bad baby, if you like something wrong in you. And you need to learn that we can all make mistakes and have a bad thought, a bad desire. But if that is conceived within you, for me, I use communion. Because communion has power. The blood of Jesus has power. You know, you get something stuck in your head. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your broken body. I thank you for the blood. Remember, Judas left the communion table. And there's a purging. That's what Hebrew says. That the blood of Jesus can purge us. Right? Now, the prodigal didn't understand that, obviously. But it began with a desire... And then because the desire was left unchecked, it followed through very quickly into the second step there. A decision was made. Now, I mentioned Snooker this morning, but it, it remains a very good example. He made the wrong decision. He took the cheap shot. When you're, again, playing Snooker, you're on the table and there's an easy red. I can get it. It's simple, but it only gets me one point. And there's a much more, right? He's a very good snooker player there. <laughs> there's a very difficult red up the top, you know? And the temptation to take the easy way. That's the problem. It's so tempting just to pot that red. But you're left with nothing. And the decision that this boy made was to take the shot. To take the cheap shot. To take what seemed like the easy way. That's just lack of maturity, lack of understanding. We've all done it. No problem. All I'm saying is we shouldn't continue doing it. Amen? So you have had desires that are wrong. They start to niggle. There's a devil out there. He's very active. And he puts thoughts in your head. Now I'm telling you, go home and get it on your own. You may fast and you may have communion and purge yourself and say, do you know what, God? I will take captive every thought that sets itself up against your word and I will obey you. And you'll find that you'll have, excuse my crude terms, but you'll find that you'll have an abortion. And that's what the prodigal didn't do. He rather kept his desires, which were wrong. He grew those desires, matured them, dreamed, and left. Okay, and that was the, he, uh, he made the decision, step two. Step three, he departed. And this is where we deal with people when they come back in. It's a very serious thing. Like, Say Everson here is, is, is thinking about something bad and he's saying, you know, Pastor Mike, I'm going to do this, that and the other. And I talk to him. Do you know, Everson's still under our cover. You're still saved. Still here. But see when you leave. When you say, do you know what, Pastor Mike? I'm leaving the church. I'm just going to go. You've departed. You have departed. And the difference is scary. 
People step out, not understanding cover. Not understanding the safety of cover. And then the, 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 when they depart, they are changed. Now you can't talk to them. Now you can't. I used to be able to talk. I used to be able to discuss and you would listen. But once they're gone, there's no talking. And that leads to the next step. It's de uh, deception. They start believing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing. Very often, because the church, the church is governed by the Holy Spirit. And if you take yourself out from under this spirit, what spirit are you going to be under? There's a multitude of them. And people get into rebellious spirits, you know, wayward spirit. There's all kinds of things. But the wrong spirit begins to guide people. So you can see, how, I mean, this is a very slippery slope. This is a fast descent. Not slow, fast. Desire leading to a decision. Once the departure comes, the spirit changes. Once the people go, the, the spirit of things changes and the spirit will lead you to victory. No, to defeat, complete defeat. Always the devil's you know, aim to destroy and ultimate despair. And then you meet people and it's getting better because they're getting to the end of themselves and to a place of desperation, which is where you can begin to talk to them. Now, look guys, when I'm witnessing to someone, I very often... They're in desire, they're in decision, they're not listening to my gospel. You know what? Sometimes you have to just step back and say, carry on. I'll see you at the bottom. I'll see you later. That's what the father did. You're going to tell you what, prodigal? Go. Just go. I'll see you later. I can you imagine that father. Can you imagine the pain of that? Imagine how, how that hurt to know that what the boy was going to go through. I'm just going to have to let you go. You're going to have to learn the hard way. And with our evangelism, evangelism is not a blunt instrument. It's a very sensitive, very technical in some ways instrument. When I walk up to the person, I need to have my spirit working, analyzing, where are you? Is this a place of desperation? Are you actually ready for this gospel? Because it can be pearls before swine. And you need to have the, we need to develop the sensitivity, the radar to assess by listening to a person's words where they were at. I was with Chris this morning as he was witnessing to that guy who came in. I must say, I was impressed. I was so impressed with his ability. Lovely, lovely, lovely nature. I mean, I could see the guy melting. It was a sight to behold. That's a practiced, mature, understanding evangelist who doesn't just walk up and, you must be born again in Jesus' name. But someone who was saying, how are you? Islam, was it? And talking and discussing. And the guy was just walking straight into the arms of God. Beautiful, wonderful. Assessing wh where are you at? Let, let me understand you. Let me understand where your, your experience of has taken you and the pains that you have, may have had. Just that little bit of listening, like the woman at the well, not just demanding repent, but sit and talk about her life. Very good. So when you're with people, remember this list. Stick it on your wall. Stick it on your fridge. And start to think, where's my friend at work that I've been witnessing to? Where are they at? Sometimes you can ask God to hurry up the, the steps. 
And when you know people are going to go, sometimes you can pray a private prayer and say, God, make haste. Godspeed. They're going to go anyway. So Godspeed behind their foe. Paul put it in various ways, handing people over to Satan so that they're stolen, etc., etc. He was trying to speed up the process and get people saved because you know they're going to go down into that pit anyway. So the desperation for me, it's a good place to meet people. It's a wonderful place to meet people, but you don't want to go there, <laughs> right? Been there, done that, we don't want to go back, but it is the most open place where, where you find people. The, the S's, see the S's? I absolutely love them. The little box at the side, I think it's a very good description of, of what leads us astray and what leads our friends astray. Self-will. I hate self-will. I think it's a terrible thing. We need to surrender our will, right? We're soldiers in an army. No soldier joins an army and then tells the captain what he's going to do. I, I don't think that's smart at all. I told you before, for many years now, I have made no decisions about my future in VFC. Years, many years, more than 12 years or, or, or you know, something like that. Everything I have been told and every time I've said yes, I've never said no because I, I don't want self-will. My life in my hands is in very dangerous hands. I do not want my life in my hands. I trust God. God gave me the church and I will trust him. And it doesn't matter. I don't care if my leader is a donkey. Praise God, they're not. I don't care. I'm not responsible for that. I don't want this. I don't want myself to govern my life or I'm going to end up in trouble. Self-will leads to selfishness. If you start getting what you want, for most of us, getting what you want will probably destroy you. For most of us, the last thing on earth you need is what you want, right? It's not. It's what God knows that we need because selfishness is the killer. Selfish Christians are unhappy Christians. Because your very nature, because you're born again now, the sooner you start to develop a generous spirit, a happy, giving, outward spirit, the happier you're going to be. So don't spend years wasted trying to acquire or accumulate or be like the world. That's crazy, stupid behavior, right? Selfish Christians are unhappy people, miserable people. And the prodigal went right down that road now, if you employ self-will and you get selfish, look at those S's. I think they're very good. The devil's ultimate job and, and goal is separation. He wants to separate me. Listen, folks, two things the devil will always want in my life. To separate me from you, dear. And to separate me from my leader. Two things. Always the first target. Try and get him away from the sources of love. <coughs> Do everything you can to separate them from love, from care, from custody, from God's custody. Real attack. He wants to break marriages and he wants to make you rebellious because with you, I'm safe. We're covered in prayer. We're joined. Two are better than one and we can walk together. But separate, I'm fractured. And if I separate from my leaders, if I become self-will and rebellion, separation to take you away from the sources of love and strength in your life. That's the goal of the devil. So always I mean, be very careful of that. I've seen it many times. Once you separate from God, sensuality is the next one. And this is a sad truth, friends. 
But when sin dominates in your life, you get no pleasure from church. You only get pleasure from <coughs> sin. Sensuality. The senses arise and the spirit decreases. And people don't want fellowship. They've got no interest in church. Spend as little possible time here. They're gone. Sensuality takes over. The soul realm takes over. And the spirit declines. And they die. They, you know, they, 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 yeah, starvation. Spiritual destruction and spiritual death. Because the spirit's no longer functioning in the way that they should. In, in the, the way that it should. I'll never forget this lady who had a newborn baby. What should be the greatest of joys, a moment of enormous celebration. And it was a few weeks after the baby was born. She happened to be addicted to heroin. And that's what she wanted. And I felt so sorry for her. She came into our drop-in center with a newborn baby and sat down. And everybody's over. Go, go, go. Hello. And I just noticed that she was so miserable. Not like a new mom should be. And there was a quiet moment and she could see. I was just looking at her and I was trying to tease out, what's wrong, love? This is not right. And she looked at me and she sensed my question and she answered it before I asked it. She said, this baby gives me no joy. All I want is heroin. Oh, Jesus. God, isn't that awful? Isn't that absolutely awful? That's destruction. That's the destruction of sin. That's what it is. The destruction of the devil when he's won someone, he's destroyed something. His goal is to separate you from protection and love, the sources of love. So don't go for it. And when, when you see others, it's painful. Very often they have to go right down that road. But, but spiritual destruction, third from the bottom. What, what are the last two? self-abasement and starvation what's self-abasement it's when they start saying i'm nothing i'm nothing no they they think little of themselves they think they're nothing they're a waster and they're abusive towards themselves in a very unhealthy way okay and again it's as common as they that is now thank god there is a way out and the prodigal has a very clear return to god a reconciliation with god step by step and it's the same story when you're dealing with your family or your friends for salvation. We need to figure out where they're at. You need to know where they're at. I mean, it's kind of scary, you know. It really is. We're at the conference next week. We'll deal a little bit about evangelism and salvation. But I, I, I fear, I really fear for our churches today in terms of full salvation. And who's saved? who's saved? You know, e even here, who's saved? I, I, you know, you, you look at it for long enough, you suddenly realize, wow, man, go to church, I can learn all this stuff. I can do all this stuff like everybody else. But am I saved? Am I saved? Am I going to heaven? Am I? And on what basis am I saying yes? A, a biblical basis? Or because my friends tell me. I, I want a biblical one. I want a Bible one. And when people say, are you, I want to show them why I'm saved. I want to show them where my confidence is. I can't have any in myself. And I don't trust you, I'm afraid. Sorry, not on this one. 
All you can give me is affirmation. That's a different thing. Right? But I need to know assurance. And only God gives assurance. And it needs to be biblical. Right? Scary days when it comes to, to this. And what I want to deal with at, at the conference is cheap salvation. And not giving our churches or our members cheap salvation. It hasn't changed. The demand is, is high. You know, salvation is totally free, but it will cost you everything you've got. That's the, the play on truth that it actually is. That's what it is. And we, we need to be much more aggressive on, on, on this topic in the way that Paul was and Peter was in Acts when they made no apology for, you know, prying into people's lives to get a, a grip on where they were at. And, and you, begin by digesting that and let it become a template with which you view people knowing that they're all in different places. People are all on, they're on a journey somewhere here and you meet them where they're at. If someone is stuck in desire, there's not a lot of point in talking to them about desperation because they're not desperate. You understand? So Gordon, when we're standing on the street and preaching, they're not desperate, are they? That's the problem. And so they walk on by. Therefore, our message needs to meet them where they are at. Now, praise God, we meet some people who are desperate. And we meet some people who are ready for salvation. But smarten up. Smarten up. Read the story. And, and understand that there's a journey here. And use your spirit to analyze where a person is at. Right? Now, the journey out is a beautiful, beautiful journey. The realization came upon the prodigal that he had made the biggest mistake of his life. But he's not saved. It's just a realization. And when you're talking with your friends and they say, oh yeah, I, I know there's a God. The devil knows there's a God. It's a great thing. It's a fantastic thing. But that's cheap. Careful. It doesn't mean salvation at all. We've got a long way to go. Then they need to be convinced of the resolution that was found in the cross. They need to understand the place of Jesus, who Jesus is, and who they are. And they need to begin to, to repent. Third step up. When they move back towards God, and as I've mentioned here before, I think we need to look and make no apology for asking people, what are they repenting from? This is part of our problem, I believe, today. We take, someone walks forward and say, oh, I repent. What from? What is it? Tell me what you're repenting from. Failure to do this has left our people either not saved, but Christian cultured, and living exactly the same. That's the problem, Pastor. We got guys here who have never been confronted. They have never been asked What's going on in your world? And you visit their homes and we, we need to confront the things. This is, these are not the things that Paul says accompany salvation. I see in your life things that do not accompany salvation. Now we need to talk to you. We need to deal with you. Amen? Amen. So repentance is, a, is an action word. I mean, I know it means to change your mind, but it's a turnaround, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's an action, something we need to do and make no apology for it. He then returns to the Father where the glorious reconciliation takes place. 
and the reclothing and the rejoicing, the full salvation has come. Now, I don't know who you're witnessing to, but we, we need to get active in evangelism. And I pray for, for, from these two messages today, a very simple change in your heart. You want the anointing? All right? You want power? Get rid of the self-righteousness. Get rid of the self-righteousness. And that will bless you and leave an opening for God to come into your life. But more than that, it makes you attractive to who? To the lost. And the lost look at you. They sense it. And they go to you. They think, this person is not going to judge me. Remember I told you the story about the evangelistic evening where Jeanette, I was, at the, I was doing the door, I was, I was the doorman in this evangelistic event years and years ago and everybody was in the hall uh, and Jeanette, you were sitting about three rows from the front there and I was right at the back and the place was full of lost and saved, it was evangelistic and these three girls came in and stood, didn't want to come in, you know, I just stood, say hello, come in. no we're not going in and I kind of just let them stand and hope they would stay. But after a while, they'd looked at the crowd, looked around, and they said, we're going to go. I saw them leaving. So I said, oh, no, stop, please. Please stay. Do you want me to get someone you can talk to? And all those, all they can see is the back of their heads. Ah, oh, Jesus, talk about the lost. One of those girls turned to me, and she said, we'll talk to that woman and just see the lost they pointed Jeanette out in the whole crowd we'll talk to that talk about sensitive see sensitivity I don't want somebody who's going to shout at me and judge me I just want someone who's tell me about it tell me I'd love this I'd love this but you guys are going to slam me I, 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 I'm not ready for that I was shocked at that. Amen? Amen? Can you imagine you going to work and people not even knowing you and going, who are you? I want to know you. I want you to tell me what it is I, what is it in you that's attracting me? I just feel something. It's God. That's what they feel. It's the grace of God. The self-righteous turn from Jesus. They stayed away. But when the sinners saw him, they went there. That's what I wanted. That's what I've been looking for in here. I just couldn't find it. Remember Gandhi? Terrible story. Wanted to find the truth. Went out to find the truth and went into a church and asked the Christians. And the Christians were so worldly and so bad that Gandhi left and, and wander, I mean, in, in, his, in his life story, that's what he said. Terrible, terrible indictment on the church. This is a better generation. And we can do better. Right? We can do much better. We have been graced with, 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 the, with the Holy Spirit in the last days. And I ask you, please, number one today, put down my pride. And God, would you give me the conviction that was on Paul? He believed he was the greatest sinner on earth. Do you? Do you? You need to.
you need to personalize it, and we're starting to get somewhere. And that revelation, that realization, that acceptance should humble you, break you down, and leave you ready for an anointing of Christ-likeness that will win souls. Amen? Amen. Amen. So have the worship team back. Just, just, just stand to our feet and, and pray for a moment and ask God to, to do these things in reality in our lives. God, we all confess happily that we have been proud, we have been self-righteous, we have been abusive of your grace, and we ask you tonight, just raise your hands, folks. Raise your hands to heaven. God, can you see us? Will you look into this place and see us, God? We reject all pride. We reject all self-righteousness. And we are so pleased and grateful to call you our God. And God, I pray for a permanent change within us that we will go from this place not condemning others or looking down on anyone, but go from this place knowing there but for the grace of God, go I. And I'm not better than anyone. If in your heart you're putting someone down in your life, I want you to think of that person just now. Is there someone you ridicule? speak badly about or demean let it go who is it in your school in your home in your work who is it that you make fun of and so advance your own self-importance or whatever repent now and may the grace of God fill your life and God I pray as we go about our work that you would make us attractive in a godly way to our friends, our family, and we would become what Scripture calls winsome. A winsome church, a winsome people. Come, Spirit of God, I ask you to fall upon these people. Fall upon these people, Father. Saturate them, Father God, in the Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit. Let them be filled again. Renew the Spirit within them. Let it be a good Spirit, a winning Spirit. And may we go forth and multiply, multiply everywhere we go. Bless the homes and the neighbors and the families and the friends. And God, I thank you for the evangelists here, for Chris, for, for Gordon and the others. Take them from strength to strength, God. Protect them and bless them in all they do. God, we're excited about the future. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.